This episode of the Shooting Brooks podcast is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy. Do you want to make some quick cash on sports betting but don't really know how? Well, come hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top tier athletes in a specific sport. For instance, if you're interested in the NFL on Thrive Fantasy, you choose 10 out of the 20 player propositions to build your lineup. NFL not your thing? Not a problem. For the NBA, MLB, PGA, or eSports, you choose 5 out of 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to happen. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. If you're into the PGA, Thrive has new contests for each day of tournaments, so don't sweat it if your golfers ruin your weekend by not making the cut. Since launching in 2018, Thrive has awarded over $1.3 million in prizes. Ready to play? You can download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Don't forget to use our promo code SBPOD when you sign up today to receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. Welcome back to this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. And we all live in California and it's looking really, really horrible out there. Um, Fires are still raging. People are still breathing in unhealthy air. So if you're out there, stay safe. Don't breathe in noxious gases and toxins and everything else because it's not safe. So do yourselves a favor, stay inside and probably listen to this podcast and every other episode of this podcast. And as always, I'm Jerry Castillo, and I'm joined by... Uh, I'm Danny Huen, and joining us as well... It's your boy, Relly Rail, Jarrell Sells. I'm surprised, Daniel, you didn't have any like anything special to say to start off this episode. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, about the air, uh, with the recent you know collapse of, of a certain team, uh, um, the air has gotten better, and it's no surprise it's gotten better today. And You're talking the, about the strippers? Uh, yeah. Uh, Mother Nature seems to approve the result as well, so... Uh, we are hopefully we're slowly returning back to normal to clear blue skies in California, Southern yeah. California specifically. Yeah, and it's a good thing you bring up the Clippers because that's a great segue. The basketball gods have decided to rain down their fury on Los Angeles Clippers. They were up three one and led the Nuggets in almost every single game, and yet they lost the series in seven. I. As a fan of a team who gave up a 3-1 deficit, I understand how some Clipper, Clipper fans are feeling, but at the same time, shouldn't have been talking all that smack, man. I mean, the hubris uh, just got to them. The Clippers, they are they're a good team, but they're not a great team. And I've been uh, seeing a lot. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, that was the, the most, you know, the, those 48 minutes last night were some of the most pathetic basketball I have ever laid my eyes upon uh I knew I said it before I caught it ever since the see uh, the season began Jared that the the Clippers chemistry was going to bite them in the ass come playoff time and look what happened I mean I mean I mean fr- quite fr- frankly 
the Clippers. I mean, this is what they get, and, you know, this is pure karma. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, pure I karma. Could, yeah. I can see where that where you're coming from with that because there was all this, this commotion, right, that the Clippers now run L.A. and all this and that. And at the end of the day, what do they have to show for it? Another, not even another banner, like a West, a Pacific division banner. They just, Mm -hmm. it sucks for the Clippers, but at the same time, shouldn't you guys shouldn't have been running your mouth, you know? I mean, the Clippers are essentially a team, a bunch of great individual players, but Mm -hmm. they don't, they cannot, they cannot communicate for their, for, for the the fucking sake of their lives. So um, this is what happens when you don't work on your chemistry all season long. This is what happens when you obsess over load management. So this is, I mean, this is what they get. They, you know, they completely turn off during the playoffs and they get tossed. Yeah, they got tossed. And you mentioned how there wasn't really that much chemistry. On the flip side, you got to give the Nuggets a ton of credit, right? Because Jamal Murray, he scored 40 points. He's just been arguably the best point guard in the bubble, at least remaining He's been the best point guard. Nikola Jokic had a triple-double in the third quarter with and ended up with 16 points, 22 rebounds, and 13 assists. The Joker is the first person in NBA history to get a 15-point or 15-plus rebound triple-double through three quarters. I mean, that's insane. Him and the rest of the Nuggets were just carving up the Clippers. And you'd think because their name was the Clippers, they would be easy. They would be cutting up the Nuggets. But... There was something about the Clippers, like whenever Denver went on these runs, they just seemed so demoralized, like they had no answer. And we keep talking about Coach Budenholzer and how he failed to make adjustments. I mean, you could say the same thing to, about Doc Rivers. Doc completely f***ed up last night. Yeah. He, and- he, he, he relied too much on superstar players and, and it didn't work out. You know, you can't rely on Kawhi Leonard as much. And I saw things where like Kawhi, you know, this team is – been constructed weird for Kawhi there's it's arguably the Raptors team is better than this Clippers team all around as a team there's so many different um egos being in place here with Montrez Harrell Lou Williams uh Paul George Patrick Beverly and some of these players aren't even excelling at what they do they're so one-sided and it's showcased here and that and now you spend all of these assets to get Paul George and he hasn't shown up in the playoffs and then you're expecting him to be your savior so, I mean, Doc Rivers kind of just rolled the wave. Like, okay, I got all of these shot makers, one-sided players, one mi- one-track mind players, aside from Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, we know. But the other two that they were depending on, no show. So, I mean, what can you do in that case? You, you They couldn't depend on any other player because they weren't constructed like that. They depended on four different players and Patrick Beverly running his mouth all season. I mean, uh, kind of want to – go off of Jarrell. I mean, uh, it's a coach's job to be aware of the history of the of your own players, especially like their past performances on past teams. Doc Rivers should have known that George Paul uh, had these playoff collapses before in the postseason. And like the fact that he ignored that and he put all that pressure on him really shows that Doc Rivers was uh, at really a much fault here. Yeah. And I got to, got to apologize to you, G, because a few months ago, I talked, we were having this discussion about how the Clippers and the Lakers had some game and I posited the question that had Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell played against the Lakers, the Clippers would have won easily. And 
I just want to apologize for that heinous statement because that was really dumb. They can't even get through <laughs> the nuggets. So, yeah, this is my formal apology, man. I, I appreciate that, man. That that's very big of you. Yeah. Uh, I just want to get this take this time to give credit to the Denver Nuggets. The mm-hmm. Denver Nuggets, their core: Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray. They're practically, honestly, a championship contender that were made up of pretty much overlooked players before they got into the league. So it's like to to take everyone aback like this far into their careers is honestly like you know it's an accomplishment to them as players and it's a shame on those scouts that overlooked them before they went into their respective drafts absolutely and you guys touched on a few things here that i want to get to so with regards to the whole load management situation espn actually reported that several clippers were quote-unquote fatigued (laughs) game seven (laughs) i don't know if that's a thing i mean you you load management your players for this specific reason and then you got an additional four month break and you your players were still fatigued okay sure it's the it's the playoffs bro what the hell yeah you look (laughs) at the you look at the boston celtics they're playing 50 some odd minutes in a triple or double overtime game and they're fine it's a classic case of um you know the typical basketball player that that you play in a rec center or pickup game that talks a whole bunch of shit and it ends up losing and then he's blaming everything else let me blame my teammates uh my shoes weren't tied oh uh, these are my these are my basketball shorts i usually wear why all of these excuses coming out the woodworks now like that makes that's that's the most like wussy <laughs> uh uh excuse you can possibly make oh, i was a little bit tired it's the playoffs what is tired and now y'all gonna be tired chilling at uh, with Damian Lillard in, in Cancun. Uh, Cabo, Cancun. <laughs> I mean, fatigue is def is most definitely normal among players. But you know, Darrell is right. It's the playoffs, and of all the teams that can make the fatigue excuse, the Clippers are not one of them because they've been resting their stars for an entire season, so yeah. they have no excuse. Here. There's no excuse. And it's crazy. Like, they can't just give up. I mean, I heard Lou Williams. He gave his props. Like, you know, he took it like a man. But everybody else is coming up with these excuses. You know, there's got to be a level of respect that y'all got y'all ass busted. Y'all got y'all ass kicked. Okay, live up to it. L.A., y'all not. Y'all tried to put all these billboards in L.A. Y'all spent all this money on advertisement talking about y'all the real L.A. team, pumping up your chest, talking all of this but you can't even deliver. So it's the Clippers, you know, it's it's just within their DNA as an organization that they always want to be heard and where they need to be heard at is on the basketball court. Talk that shit once you do shit. Like y'all got this this amazing on paper team and the Clippers have been known for this for years to get Lakers um, rejects, you know, Wesley Johnson or get Paul Pierce at the end of his career and get all of these amazing players that were good off your team onto the team and nothing comes out of it. I don't know, man. It's it's a it's a weird stick situation. It's very sticky. It's it's very hilarious to just hear all of the bashing and slander that they're getting. And of course, we're gonna slander them on this this podcast too because that's the most. And and Doc Rivers needs to blame. Kawhi Leonard needs to blame as well. So Kawhi and PG, they scored. Kawhi scored fourteen points on six of twenty-two and. Pandemic P scored 10 points on 4 of 16. They combined for 0 points in the 4th quarter. So it's interesting because they're two stars that they had to lean on that you know was on all the billboards or whatever. Didn't do shit in the 4th quarter where they needed them. And 
what makes this even more interesting is that the Clippers traded five draft picks for Paul George. And the thing is they have maybe a one year window because Paul George and Kawhi can both be free agents in 2021. So basically we're looking at the nets of this, this era, basically, because if Paul George and Kawhi don't win next year, are they going to say, you know what, let's try again. Or do you think they're just going to, they'll just hop onto another team and say, you know what, um, maybe Kawhi says, I'm going to go back to San Antonio because they have a y- good young core there. Or Paul George might be like, I'm going to go to the Lakers or something, right? Uh, <laughs> just, I just wanted just wanted to say before, you know, Jared got into the stats, George Paul, I'm going to keep calling him George Paul for now. Uh, uh, his press conference response was the most pathetic of all. Uh, when you're lining up your team like that on the roster of like that caliber, your goal is to obviously win a championship. I mean, it, it, there's, there's like, what can you say? So that's a pathetic response. Honestly, this series, this loss, kind of reinforces the Clippers, uh, the Clippers' history. And honestly, their their whole franchise and organization is one big legacy of failure. Speaking of failure, I just wanna I just wanna posit this question to you guys, and I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but for me personally. I feel like Doc Rivers is one of the most overrated coaches in the NBA. I mean, that's for me, that's a fact because he has eight game seven losses, which is the most of all time and the most blown three, one lead three, one leads in NBA history. He's won one championship. He won coach of the year with the Orlando magic. Sure. But I feel like he's extremely overrated now because I feel like he's one of those coaches that got hired with good players. The good players were already there but he was just there and he, the good players just made him look good. So do you guys feel he is overrated? And if so, what do you guys think about his job security? Cause although I think he's overrated, I, I think he still keeps his job. You got to remember Jared, uh, before the big three formed in Boston, Doc Rivers had won the worst seasons of his career. I mean, the team Boston had won its worst seasons in general in a long time and 16 you know, wins, right? Yeah. And he was about, he was on the verge of being fired. So if it wasn't for Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Danny Ainge making, you know, pulling some tricks out of his ass, Doc Rivers would not be in this position right now. But other than that, yes, I think he's definitely an overrated coach. He has not done much with the with the players he's been, you know, given to. Like when he was hired to the Clippers, he had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin with him. He didn't do much with that. So uh, I think he keeps his job security for at least one more season, but he must win next season. Um, I, I agree with the statement that Doc Rivers is an overrated coach and he's just, he was just blessed with the opportunity, like you said, to have a good roster and win that championship. And that on his resume kind of put him in a position where he's had so much longevity now. Now, let's say he doesn't win that championship and we just go off of his uh, stint with the L.A. Clippers. <laughs> I almost said something else. Uh, L.A. Clippers. Um, he would have been got fired because it's crazy to see like in the NBA today, you can be a successful coach in the uh, regular season, make your way to the playoffs and lose and get fired. But coaches that, you know, working with teams that aren't making the playoffs have a little bit more stability. I don't know. That's what I have noticed. So with that being said, hell yes, he's an overrated coach. I feel like he's, he's decent. He's okay. We've seen what he did with the Clippers before they got uh, Kawhi last year, right, with the young core, you know, Tobias Harris, um, Shai Gilgis, Alexander. They were a pretty solid team. They, we didn't expect them to be in the playoffs, yet they, they made it. So I think Doc Rivers is a decent regular season coach, and he, he 
he rides on his talent. But when it comes to the playoffs, he's a totally different coach. And a lot of we don't see a lot of coaches that are able to adjust their game plans. And it's becoming more of a rarity now in the NBA from what I'm seeing. Like, we know Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens is pretty good at that. Back in the day, Phil Jackson was pretty awesome with that, although he leaned on his superstar players. But we, Doc Rivers, you don't see it. The construction of the team is also an issue, too. I think Danny Ainge with the Celtics kind of did a terrific job. The Clippers, on the other hand, who, who is their uh, GM now? Lawrence Frank. I'm okay. pretty sure. I, I don't know. They, it's, it's, been a, it's been a similar, similar uh, formula for the past seven, eight, nine years with the Clippers. Just get a whole bunch of talented players individually that do one thing, and let's see where we could go. Hmm. I mean – I also want to say that this position, this situation kind of makes me think that Kawhi Leonard is honestly not the best leader of a team. Sure, he won that championship. In Toronto. Sure, he won that championship in Toronto, but that was only because he had that team had no expectations on them. So there wasn't really any pressure going into that playoffs that year. So Kyle Lowry was the leader of the Raptors last year. That that's also true. <laughs> um, sorry, I, I negated that fact, but you know, this is, I think this is truly the first situation where, like, Kawhi Leonard has been pushed into a true leadership position and his non-vocal, like, non-verbal, you know, verbal, like, vocal style is clearly not working. It, it like, look at that uh, image, he's, like, we saw yesterday of him and, you know, playoff P sitting on the bench. No emotion whatsoever. Well, I mean, if he got blitzed by 20-something points, I mean, I wouldn't be having emotion, too. I'd just be stunned. Quite honestly, it led to that point. You know what I'm saying? They've been in that situation uh, three games in a row. You mm-hmm. feel me? And who who is he going to defer to to be the voice? Pandemic P that ain't got no no f- experience being that guy. Who is he going to get this from? Lou Williams, who's going to the strip club. Uh, Montrez Harrell, who flexes for doing the bare minimum. Or f-ing Patrick Beverly, who talks all this nonsense and <laughs> doesn't really have anything to back it up. So, you know, it, it, they thought they was dogs, but, you know, they ain't champions. They're not, they not champion. They don't have, they don't have champion DNA. So, yeah. I agree with you there, Daniel. He, he needs that, that vocal leader, and the Clippers don't have that. Yeah, and one last thing here before I move on. The thing with Kawhi is that the two championships that he's won, right, he was around the San Antonio ecosystem. So, obviously, there are strong, powerful voices in there. Brett Popovich. He's exactly. the true leader. And Tony Parker as the floor general. Mm-hmm. And then with the Raptors, you have Kyle Lowry, who is probably the best Raptor in history because his contributions go way beyond what's on the stat sheet. He and DeRozan helped elevate the Raptors. And then, obviously, Kawhi came, but he was still the heart of the team, right? It seemed like Kawhi was just like, that other person that needed to be there to help him reach the hump and then go over it. Right. So Kyle Lowry was the leader, but with the Clippers, there is no leader because Patrick Beverly, he's an annoyance. He's not, he's a decent player. He's a great defender, but overall he, he's not the leader that the Clippers need. They need someone else who has a firm voice in the locker room because Kawhi is not going to be there. Like you said, Kawhi is not going to be that guy to say, hey, I'm going to get on your ass and I need you to perform because he's just not that type of guy. But I, yeah. I feel like the only way that Clippers get that figure in the locker room is honestly it has to do with the coach because Kawhi is the best player on that team at the end of the day. So you don't necessarily – in the locker room, 
hierarchy, you don't want him to like supersede that. The only way to supersede him would to, would be honestly to get a coach that's willing to be that leader, like Greg Popovich in San Antonio. Right. And speaking of coaching changes, as you guys all know, the Lakers took care of the Rockets, dismantled them in Game Five with a 119 to 96 score. So Mike D'Antoni is gone per Woj. He could be headed to Philly or Indiana, as was previously mentioned. He told the Rockets that he was gone before the plane landed in Houston, according to the Athletic. So the Rockets are looking at Jeff Van Gundy to potentially replace him or even Ty, Ty Lue as a potential head coach. So they really need a culture reset after Mike D'Antoni leaves. And this is all according to Athletic. So Van, Van Gundy did coach the Rockets from 03 to 07, and he has a 182 to 146 lifetime record. So do you think this was the best move for Mike D'Antoni? And who do you think can come in and change the culture of the Houston Rockets? I mean, whoever comes in to the Houston Rockets, they're going to have a hard time because this team, the way the Houston Rockets is constructed, it's not like a traditional team. So you're like, like the first year that person comes in, like they're going to struggle a little bit because they're, they're not a team that's built like, you know, for a more conventional style. Personally, Mike D'Antoni, I, I like, I personally don't think he's a championship coach. And, like, we've been proven, like, time and time again that, you know, come playoff time, his team somehow falter. Yeah, I would agree. Mike D'Antoni has shown time and time again that he is not – he can't get his team to where it needs to be. And I honestly don't know who would be a good fit for the Rockets because, as it stands, they have 90 – almost $99 million – tied up with Westbrook, Eric Gordon, and James Harden. That's a shit ton of money. Like, I don't know. You're going to have to move Westbrook or Harden because Gordon's not going to get anything. You're not going to get anything good for him. And because of the way Daryl Morey has constructed the squad, he's really into this small ball revolution. And I just don't see, sure, you know, maybe Jeff Van Gundy will say, you know what, I'll take the job. But at the same time, he he's a specific type of coach, right? He had T-Mac and he had Yao and he had all these different players that play an extremely different brand of basketball. And I don't think that might work with Westbrook, Eric Gordon, or James Harden, or PJ Tucker, or all of them. Daryl Morey really handcuffed himself here, and I don't really know where they go from here. I mean, Jarrell, do you think that Harden goes first or Westbrook, or they just keep him, see what happens for the next four years? Personally, if I had to pick a coach, I would have to pick T- uh, Teron Lue because Teron Lue has had experience with superstar players and veteran players in general. So Teron Lue could at least adjust and have a decent relationship with James Harden and the Russell Westbrook. I would not pick Jeff Van Gunny personally because Jeff Van Gunny has not coached in a certain number of years. And as you said, Jared, uh, it, his style of basketball could be up, like outdated. I just think that, just to piggyback off of that, uh, Maury is – doing this he has the formula wrong let's think of like spongebob in uh mr crab you know he has the crappy patty formula and plankton just keeps on trying to replicate it so it's the chum bucket this is not a crabby patty <laughs> i i don't think that completely eliminating your big that five that four from your team is the way to go even those teams that do small ball lineups have bigs the rockets have tyson chandler who's on the verge of retiring so, I think that Westbrook goes. You, you don't get rid of Harden. 
Harden is your staple. Harden is who you build your team around. He's won an MVP on your team. He has excelled, and you've built your offense around him. You are trying to make him a championship team, not Westbrook. So I'm sorry, Westbrook, but Westbrook got to go. And I know no one's going to take him, but I think that's that's who goes first. What about you guys? Personally, yeah. um, I think this is the beginning of the end of the current uh, core of the Houston Rockets. Westbrook goes first, but eventually, as time goes on, James Harden's probably going to – probably going to be thinking, I need a championship on his mind. So eventually this is the beginning where, like, of the process. It, it may take a year or two, but I think eventually James Harden gets traded somewhere and the Houston Rockets are eventually forced to start rebuilding. The thing with that is I agree Westbrook has to go before Harden, but at the same time I'm thinking to myself, what can you get for Westbrook? You're probably going to get a mid-first-round pick, right? Or – salary cap filler because at this point he is declining he's not the same player that he was but he acts like he is and who wants to take who's going to take a worse a worse shooting version of Allen Iverson right because Westbrook is a shoot first point guard right he may get the accolades sure but at the end of the day when you compare his numbers with Allen Iverson potentially they look similar right because he's just jacking up shots and he's hitting maybe 40 percent sub 30 from three and sub, you know, 85 from the line, which is not what you need from your point guard. You need someone who could control the tempo, control the floor. And as, you know, the series with the Lakers showed, he's just not that guy. And so maybe the, I don't know, what team has, has salary cap? The Detroit Pistons maybe? They, they trade this, Blake Griffin? I don't know. This is, this is how I see Russell Westbrook. Brooks' career. I think personally, he needs to take a a look in the mirror and like he needs to realize that he's just not. He's it's it's clear. It's becoming evident. He won't be the same player like very soon. So uh, he's not the same I, player anymore. Yeah, he's not the same player even now. So uh, I think the best situation for Westbrook is that he needs to learn that he needs to take considerably less money, and he needs to sign with a contender that where he can at least like get off the bench and and contribute. Because he's not going to be in the title role anymore. He's just you think you think he's going to get, come off the bench with all his with his pride and hubris and ego? Do you think? I see you shaking your head. You. That's his problem. He he's not coming off the bench. I I that that Detroit Pistons trade does sound interesting. Regardless of who they find as their trade partner, the Houston Rockets have to lose in a the trade. They're going to have to get rid of a pick or two potentially down the line to kind of entice this, the the receiving team to want to take on Westbrook's contract. So, I mean, I don't know what Detroit is doing right now anyway. It's not there. <laughs> you might as well. They're in rebuild mode anyway. They might want to just get rid of Blake Griffin's contract, although it's kind of swapping, but you get picks out of it. So that's a win for the Detroit Pistons. You're not going anywhere anytime soon. You're not going to make a big free agent splash. You have it in I don't know how long. So why don't you just rack up on those draft picks Take Russell Westbrook, and I think I think that'll work for Houston. You can you can potentially see Blake Griffin as your five. You know he's been doing a lot more ball handling and facilitating and shooting, less rebounding, and I think he can be that high post center that reverses the ball, maybe shoots those corner threes a little bit, attacks the basket, and it gives you that size. And he's a little bit more mobile than your average six ten, two hundred and fifty pound center. So I think. I think that's a that's a solid trade. You get that contract off, and you get a player in return. That's the thing, though. Just uh, just to throw this out there, like Blake Griffin, 
like you said, he can do all these things, but he hasn't been able to stay on the floor. So I think that's the one red flag for the Rockets. If you're Daryl Moore, you get a pretty flexible player, but at the same time, that flexibility can only stretch so much, right? I mean, after, you know, no matter what really happens, all I really see is a franchise on a decline. And I think it's, it, this feels to me, I mean, they're clearly like not the same type of players. This clearly feels to me like where the Lakers were after that series against Dallas. I just felt like this is the beginning of the end. It's, I mean, like it's all going to go wrong from here. I know a team that's not going through that process right now. And that's currently the Denver Nuggets. They've been balling out this whole playoff series, this whole playoffs. And they're in the conference finals since Carmelo Anthony. So that's a while. So again, Lakers, Nuggets, Western Conference Finals. Just before I get into it, who do you guys got coming out of the Western Conference? I'm going to have to say uh, Lakers in six realistically, but if the Lakers get lucky, we can they can pull out in five. You know what? I'm going to play devil's advocate because it's the Nuggets. I'm going to say Nuggets in seven. Lakers go up 3-1, and then Nuggets come back, do something that's never been done before, go you know, win three straight for another 3-1 deficit series win. What say you, G? I, I have to go Lakers in six. I think the Nuggets – well, the Nuggets are going to pull out on the first game because the Lakers have been giving up the first game so they can go ahead and blow the teams out within four. But I think the Nuggets, if they keep on playing like how they're playing, uh, it's going to be it's going to be tough for the Lakers. I mean, and not Anthony Davis, but the Joker. Nick Jokic and Jamal Murray, that duo is pretty damn dangerous. So when we're comparing bigs, we got Jokic versus Anthony Davis. So – when this matchup happens, who do you guys think is going to win offensively, going up against each other? Offensively, it's going to be close between him and Anthony Davis, but I think Anthony Davis is the slightly better player, so I'm going to pick him. Defensively, though, Anthony Davis wins that matchup hands down because Jokic has problems on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, I would agree, except I would take Nikola Jokic as slightly the better offensive big because – He's able to do things that bigs aren't supposed to be able to do. He, but he's he's going against like who widely many widely consider as the best defensive player in the whole league. Anthony that's, Davis. That's a fair. That's a fair point. But at the same time, Anthony Davis and if you look at how Anthony Davis plays and compare it to how Nikola Jokic plays, Nikola Jokic is what he starts out in the low post and then gradually works his way out, right? But Anthony Davis starts out and then works his way in. So I just see that that strange dichotomy between the two. And we all know that Anthony Davis doesn't like defending in the post. So that's how that's how Nikola Jokic is going to get his his points is just punishing Anthony Davis down on the block because how you know they're both six ten six eleven right? But Jokic probably has a good ten fifteen maybe twenty pounds on Anthony Davis. Add in the fact that he has a good a good base in the post. I see that, you know, if anything, Anthony Davis, although he might be the best defensive player, I think that he's going to have a, hot, a rough time trying to defend Nikola Jokic. I see the um, series start to interject. I, I see the series as this way. It's the Denver, the Nuggets are a team like the Rockets and the Portland. They, they rely heavily on the perimeter. So it's going to be, it's honestly, it's going to be like the previous series. 
for the Lakers in general, if you can, if they can, you know, keep up the recent defensive play and lock down the perimeter and keep it into the in the game inside the, the paint, I think the the Lakers, if they do that, the Lakers have this series in five or six games. Go ahead. I just I just want to uh, go off of what you were saying, Jared, as far as uh, the Joker winning the matchup with the Brow. Um, I think we tend to forget that the Lakers have two defensive centers just chilling on the bench and basically set out a whole series. And honestly, the way that the Joker plays, plays into how JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard defend. They're both considerably mobile centers. I'm not going to say they're going to they're going to clamp you down on the perimeter, but if we get a, a switch on a guard, they can they can move their feet a little bit. They might get beat, but then they're going to try to get a chase down block. But with Jokic, Jokic isn't Anthony Davis on the offensive end. Jokic is like, you know, Kyle like kind of like uh Kyle Anderson, you know, he's slow-mo, very slow-mo, and he's very crafty. And I'm not trying to take away from his offensive abilities, but we have bigs that are going to be able to stay in front of Jokic, and Anthony Davis is not going to have to worry about guarding Jokic unless it's down the stretch and we don't have those bigs in where he can be that secondary defender coming over to deflect the pass, block a uh, shot, or um get a steal out into tr- tr- uh, transition. So I think the Lakers are looking good on that end, and these centers are gonna step up and they finally got their time to play. Like Daniel said, on the defensive end, though, Anthony Davis is about to eat. If Jokic is guarding him, if Jokic is guarding him, especially when we do our small ball lineup, we have to also have to factor in Anthony Davis isn't the best passer. But towards the end of the series, he's been getting a couple of more assists up. And I know it's not playmaking like, oh, I'm setting this person up for a score. But his willingness to pass, especially with cutters like Kyle Kuzman, I think we're going to be able to combat uh, the Nuggets' um, defense, especially in the paint. We're going to dominate. I mean, hmm. also, you got guys, you guys got to keep this in mind. Denver has played 14 games in the playoffs so far. The Lakers have played, you know, it may not seem as last they've played 10, It's but 10 compared to 14, especially in the playoffs, is considerably much more rest for these Lakers. So the Lakers are going to come in the series more, like way fresh, and Denver's going to possibly come in the series very exhausted. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like at the same time, though, you – you obviously you guys know that that argument rest versus rust right so if everything goes the nuggets way i feel like they could like i said nuggets in 7 but who knows right because we've seen how javel mcgee can he's a solid defender he's long lengthy what have you but at the same time he has those moments where his defensive iq isn't necessarily there i would honestly think that Dwight Howard gets more minutes than JaVale this series because why look at how it goes yeah why would you and Dwight Howard hasn't been the best you know big for the Lakers but you know what can you expect at this point in his career but I just feel like the entire situation is going to rest on the bench because Denver's bench has been absolutely they've been on fire they when they're in there they can just especially Michael Porter Jr. He's been playing lights out, but uh, depends. I mean, he, right? he, he's had his very immature moments, and right. I feel like it's gonna, there are going to be those times where it's going to finally bite him in the ass, especially and, against a team like the Lakers. Exactly. We're going to capitalize on his stupidity. No offense. Michael Porter Jr. is the, in the same build, the same boat as Kyle Kuzma. So we got mm. two players on the court that does stupid stuff at times. And the, the thing about – Michael Porter is, I, I think his stupid moments are a little bit more stupider than Kyle Kuzma's. 
<laughs> Kyle Kuzma does some wild stuff, but you know, we just got to give it to him being in the league a little bit more. Michael Porter does stuff like what we talked about on the previous pod where you're up and you're pushing the ball or you get a rebound and you're trying to do it behind the back with two defenders right by you. So I don't know. I think, I think our overall team, especially if we're looking at our duo of LeBron and Anthony Davis beats the Nuggets. Fair enough. Fair enough. And if we're going to, if we're going to talk about how overall teams played, we've got to give props to the Miami Heat. They just went out there and they took game one against the Celtics, 117-114, after a fantastic block by Bam Adebayo. Shout out to Bam. I know Hunter's probably really happy that his Heat pulled off one hell of a game. But that being said, congrats to the, to the Heat for winning game one. That said, I still have the Celtics winning another six or seven. Um, any rebuttals from you guys? My opinions, yes. my opinions on this series keeps changing. I'm going to stick with my Celtics prediction for now. It's just like, this is going to actually, honestly, this is going to go to game seven. I think these teams are evenly matched. I just think Boston has so many weapons. You just can't ignore it. You can't ignore their options. I've preached this countless times, that word weapons. Yes, I agree with that. But I'm going to rebuttal here. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of on the fence too, but I believe this can go to game seven, no doubt. Uh, but we also got to factor in that the Heat, their weapons aren't as effective, like if we're talking about potential and what they've been doing. But the Heat have had players that have stepped up. And I honestly can't tell you which player is going to be the closer for the Heat because everybody's been doing their shit. Jimmy Butler, he's not always going to be your guy that's hitting that, that, that shot that's going to change the momentum. But you have a rookie in Tyler Hero that's hitting big shots out of nowhere. He's playing as if he's not a rookie. You have Bam Adebayo that's getting these blocks. He's been playing consistent like I don't know what. And then we also got to factor in their veteran, the Dragon, Goran Dragic. He's been balling out of his mind. Now, if Goran Dragic wins his matchup against Kemba Walker and the Celtics can continue to believe, you know, if they, you know, Jason Tatum is their cornerstone player, but if they continue to believe and just thrive and just feel like he's going to hit these awesome, amazing shots all the time, which he has a good track record of doing, I just think if the, if the, if the games are close and he always have that one or two like unexpected player that just shows up, I think they can, they can, they can make it out of the East. And veterans as well. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna, I was just gonna piggyback off of that. So we talked about weapons, right? And when it came down to when I was trying to think of how Miami could potentially upset the Celtics, it came down to the benches. And just for comparison's sake, Boston throughout the playoffs, they, they, their bench scores about eighteen points per game, right? Which is last among remaining teams. Miami, Miami's bench scores almost 30. And in game one, Miami scored 22 points in game one, and Boston was about 18. So it's going to go down to the bench. And like you said, G, there's these different people for this, for the Heat that just pop out of nowhere because Jay Crowder had 22 points and five rebounds, and he went five, five of nine from three and went seven of 11 overall. That's 22 points out of someone you don't expect. And then going with the Dragon, Goran Dragic had 29 points and 7 rebounds, 4 assists on 11 of 19 shooting. And keep, if we keep going, Bam had 18 points, 6 rebounds, 9 assists on 5 of 12, plus that amazing block. Jimmy Butler had 25 and 5. 
So that is such a a balanced attack that with the Heat, you don't really know who who's going to destroy you if you're the Celtics. And on the flip side, if you look at how the Celtics played, their big three didn't play that poorly, but they need to get a little bit more from Kemba Walker because I, I've been seeing that he's been struggling a little bit. I don't know if you guys have been seeing the same thing because in game yes. one, in game one, he had 19 points of six on six of 19, which isn't great. Tatum had a fantastic game, although he shot 10 of 24 and Jalen Brown had 17 points on six of 14. Now to save them, they had Marcus Smart with 26 points on nine of 18 and six of 13 from three. So I know that's a lot of numbers that I just, you know, basically vomited at you, but this is one of those series where you won't know until the very last second, maybe last five seconds of game seven, who's going to win. It's, it's, it's honestly going to come down to the wire. It really is. I was just going to say, this is a really good series. I mean, I'm glad that this series is the last one for the East. It's not like some BS one that's just like, you know, Milwaukee versus, I don't know, some other team, right? I'm yeah. glad that we have a team that is so close and so good, at least a matchup that's so close and so good, that, dare I say, this might be the actual finals. You guys can obviously disagree, but I think this might be the actual finals instead of the, the NBA I, finals. I personally think, though, like, neither team – I mean, maybe – I mean, I think Boston and Miami are – like, neither team is better than the Lakers. I mean, I think the Eastern Conference has been weaker in general all season long, and it's been that way for the last couple of years. Personally, I disagree with you, Jared. I think I think a Western Conference team will eventually win the title. Hmm. Fair enough. I do say both of these uh, conference finals will be good basketball to watch. The last four remaining teams have been the best four within this bubble, within Orlando. We're looking at the playoffs and how they've been playing. So, and it's been exciting basketball. You know, the Heat took out the Bucks. The Celtics have been on a roll. The Nuggets have been delivering in so many elimination games. And the Lakers have been giving us heart attacks since game one. So, I think that both of these conference finals are going to be pretty amazing. And I just, the Lakers, of course, are going to deliver the 2020 champion. Personally, like, I, I mean, I completely see Jarrell's point. I think that, like, what you're forgetting, Jared, is, like, the Lakers, in my opinion, and, like, a lot of many NBA fans will agree with me, they are the hungriest team to win a chip title in this bubble right now. Think about what's gone on in the past year. We had last season, LeBron had that disappointing season. Many doubted LeBron and his longevity as the greatest player in the world and missing the playoffs was a great humiliation. And now they have this bounce back, which has been clouded by the Clippers hype all year. And, Le- Le- and like, there's always that goat argument. LeBron is hungry. He wants that fourth title. All these teams are motivated, but they're not as hungry as LeBron James. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, with, you know, how many games do you think are going to be left in the playoffs? Maybe 14 at most. At this point, I mean, we have 14 games to figure it out, right? So I, I just feel LeBron and this, and this whole Lakers organization, they have something to prove because they've been – let's – like I know, I mean, we've been, you know, the Lakers have been sh- on the last six years. So it's, it's time for some f-ing payback. All right. And speaking of sh- on, 
Milwaukee and Giannis, they, their relationship might be on. Because here's a rough timeline of what happened ever since Milwaukee got eliminated from the playoffs. So Milwaukee obviously lost to the Heat, and then Giannis almost immediately says that he won't force a trade. Then he goes and unfollows his teammates and anything related to the Bucks on social media. And then after that, Giannis meets with ownership to discuss the team's future. Apparently, it was a three-hour lunch meeting that they had. The owner, Mark Lazary, said that the team is willing to spend into the luxury tax to be better. And obviously, the sides will meet again in the future to determine what's going on. The Bucks can offer him $221 million. That's a foregone conclusion that they will. But if they don't make any discernible changes, I don't think that's enough to entice him. That's why, not being a homer, I think he's going to go to the Warriors. And we've talked about this last week, and so I just wanted to touch on that. Do you guys think that after one week, or however many days has gone by, do you think that Giannis will stay with the Bucks? And, well, let's just put it this way. Do you think the Bucks will be better, and do you think Giannis will stay? Personally, I don't think Giannis is going to stay, but I don't think Giannis is the one that's going to initiate the trade. I think Milwaukee knows that Giannis could very well leave for nothing by the end of the next season, and because of that pressure, I think that's why Milwaukee forces the trade. Uh, personally, Jared, I think you need to get some help. Uh, uh, the, the Warriors are not going to land Giannis out to the Kupo. Uh, they, have the best, they have the best package to offer him. But Giannis hasn't forced their hand, and he's publicly said he won't force a trade. And on top of that, he just he, it hasn't been shown in his character. He's been vocal about uh, being loyal to the soil, and that doesn't mean he can't leave him in free agency. But as far as forcing his trade, I'm I'm it's all up to him. Personally, I think Milwaukee's the one gonna force the trade because they know what could be coming. I don't think they do that. Yeah, it's Milwaukee. They're, they're gonna it, do their best it, to keep him there. Yeah, and, and if anything, though, I, I have a feeling that you know Pat Riley being one of the best execs in all basketball could work something else better than what the Warriors can. I just think we they're blowing the situation out of proportion. I understand that they lost at a number one seed, but they have okay pieces with Giannis and although I slander him a lot, Chris Middleton. It's just you're expecting this out of you. You're expecting too much out of certain people. They can honestly get rid of Eric Bledsoe. He's an unnecessary piece, in my opinion. He's, he's gone, dude. Like, so I think if anything, Giannis gets this season. He still keeps this season with the Bucks, and he has that discussion with management to figure out, like, you know, the LeBron James situation. What pieces do you want on your team? This is your team. We're going to make this your championship team. So you tell us, and we'll be the bad guys. You don't have to publicly say, I want Eric Bledsoe gone. We're going to go ahead and trade him. And that's what you have to do for this superstar, especially when you're the fucking Milwaukee Bucks, because who wants to play for them out of free agency? And, yeah, so the Warriors are going to keep that pick. I know this 2K trade of Giannis going to the Warriors will not happen, unfortunately, Jerry, and I'm mm. sorry. I would like to see it, though. It'll be, it'll be pretty awesome, you know. It'll set the league on fire. Yeah. And I'm just saying it would make for enticing basketball. <laughs> not in my eyes. It'll be hell. Well, I mean, you guys get this year. We get the next five years. but Okay. <laughs> Patrick Beverly. <laughs> I mean, if they get Giannis, why not, right? The The sky is literally the limit for the for the Warriors if this goes through. If. Big if. 
but it's there's a chance of it happening. So I'm just saying. But just a, a few more quick hitters here before we transition over to the video game portion of the podcast. So I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the WNBA playoffs. They started and First of all, we got to give a big shout out to Shay Petty. Uh, she hit a buzzer-beating, game-winning three-point shot just as time expired, as those things obviously are. And she lifted, she helped lift the Mercury over the Mystics. And just a, a bit of context: last year, the Washington Mystics won the WNBA championship. Of course, they're missing their their star in Elena Deladon. And just to put a little bit of a salt in the wound. Shea Petty was actually cut by the Mystics prior to the season. So big ups to her for getting her revenge game, just like one of those Robert Ory games, you know, just be like for the Lakers at least, telling the Kings like, hey, you know, you guys aren't good, whatever. But now the Mercury faced the Minnesota Lynx, and the winner of that faces the Las Vegas Aces. And just to keep moving forward here, the Connecticut Sun faced the Sparks. I know, G, you're... Uh, yes, sir. I'm you're looking forward to that. Tune in tomorrow. Tune in tomorrow. Shout out to my girl, Candace Parker. She got Defensive Player of the Year. You're, um, yeah, I'm actually going for the Sparks. I can't wait to, for them to secure this W. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and whoever wins that matchup faces the Seattle Storm, and then it's the WNBA Finals. And you mentioned awards, WNBA awards, G, and I just want to run these names by you. So the first team is obviously Brianna Stewart. She's led the storm. Asia Wilson, who's led the aces. Candace Parker. Yes, sir. The the actual CP3 of LA. <laughs> She's part of that squad. Arike Ogunbowale from the wings. And Courtney Vandersloot, who, just a, a little note on her, she's the very first WNBA player to average a double-digit assist season with a flat-out 10. So congrats to her. I think people really should know that averaging double-digit anything in whatever you do is very difficult, especially playing sports. So shout-out to her yep. for being the very first one. Yep. But, I'm surprised to see – not just to, just to piggyback. I'm surprised to see Brittany Griner. Like, she must have had a pretty bad season to not make any of the all-teams. Yeah, but she – two of her uh, out of the other big three made it. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. It's actually really interesting you bring that up because halfway through the season, she just had this weird falling out with the Phoenix Mercury and she left the bubble for personal reasons. Damn. I think if I remember correctly, she was benched in the second half of a game. And then there was just a falling out between her and the coach. And then a day later, she just left. So, I, I've, I've heard and seen that she has that low-key Anthony Davis syndrome where she just doesn't believe that she's big or one of the biggest players on the court and doesn't want to play big six eight dominate yeah she's been averaging like 20 and 10 at least 15 and 10 if i remember correctly so right i don't know with two blocks too but speaking of more team news so the rookie first team i mean we all the nba rookie first team i should say we all know who it is you know john Morant, kendrick nunn brandon clark zion and eric paschkow Shout out to the Warriors. We had one good thing go this year, and it was him. So, and then the trade, yeah, the trade. Trade in D'Angelo. Didn't y'all get a pick? I think that's a good thing. Uh, the pick, sure, but <laughs> more All often right. than not, the Warriors. Or let me put it this way: it's a great pick, 
but there have been there have been rumors that the Warriors are going to trade it for something else for next year. So I mean, because we have Minnesota's unprotected pick next year too. So is that the pick? That's not the second overall pick, right? No, no. So this one is ours, and then next year's is the Timberwolves. Oh, okay. It's like top three protected, I think. So it's a pretty solid pick. Um, but anyways, the rookie second team is Tyler Hero. Shout out to him for dominating so far. Terrence Davis, Kobe White, PJ Washington, and Rui Hashimura. Surprised again. No, no RJ Barrett. Oh yeah, we forget that he's a rookie and he was what top five in multiple categories as a rookie: points, rebounds, and assists. And he doesn't make it. I don't even know who the f- Terrence Davis is. <laughs> Play for the Raptors, I think. I know he plays for the Raptors now, but I don't. I, I know every other rookie on the on this list, but him. Yeah. Well, you'll be glad to know that he played on the Knicks, so that's why. And now to the bigger, the bigger things. So all NBA first team, it's Luca, Harden, LeBron James, the most all time. Go. Shout out to him, Giannis, AD. The second team is CP3, Dame, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, kind of interesting there, Nikola Jokic. All-NBA third team, excuse me, is Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, Jimmy Butler, <laughs> Jason Tatum, and Rudy Gobert. You, you have a very – you had a very – okay, what was that reaction for? Uh, Russell Westbrook, no Bradley Bill. I don't know. I just feel some type of way. You feel me? But shout-out to my Lakers out here. Daniel, how you feeling? Two? Two players and first team? Come on, the, the Lakers. First team. Come on. But yep, I am feeling great. Just, oh. Now we got to just, like, LeBron deserves his MVP now and just cap it off with this championship. It's feeling good. But there's a lot of snubs on this list. Oh, yeah. A couple, at least. Probably, like you said, Bradley Beal. Dude is averaging 30 and 6. And just because he was on a trash f-ing Wizards team, like, you shouldn't. I mean, the dude's putting up 30 points. Come on. Bradley Beal is on, is on one of the more hopeless. Uh, organizations in the whole National Basketball Association. Other than the next, Washington's like, it's up there. It's pretty cool. Bradley Bill needs to pull a uh, uh, Damian Lillard and a uh, uh, Rudy Gobert. No, like, you know, they cried. You know, they got snubbed off the All Star team and they cried about it. Damian Lillard probably dropped the mixtape and whatnot. Yeah. But Bradley Bill got it. He got to call him out on this, man. Yeah. But you're right, Daniel. He got to get out of there. I know. Well, we'll see what happens, but. In any case, shout out to, again, another shout out to Nick Nurse for getting a multi-year extension. Probably one of the better coaches in the league. Well-deserved. I think he's going to be there for a 10, I think he's a 10 to 15, like, tenure type of, type of dude in, in Toronto. What he's done for that franchise is... He got rewarded for actually having some positivity going on with the team, unlike some other coaches. And, and how that organization is formulated and up from the top, I mean, good management is, you know, the precursor to good everything. Um, I think they, don't, they may not have a superstar right now, but eventually Toronto, people forget, Toronto is actually one of the more global, like, it's a top five global city in North America. So I never understood why, I think the reason why it hasn't been a free agent destination is, like, players are just simply unfamiliar with the city. But once people get to know that city, eventually – Toronto lands a superstar, whether it's in the draft or through like signing an all-star. So I think that team is going to win a couple. I think he wins at least, I know it's too far, but he wins two more rings in that, in his tenure there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but with all that being said, 
Daniel, you spoke of rings, and a few years way, way in the distant past, Xbox used to worry about the red rings of death, and now I'm happy to report that they don't have to deal with that anymore. Um, Are you sure? Because Microsoft always has technical issues with their systems. Let's hope not, because on November 10th, we'll find out. Uh, The Xbox Series X is releasing, and the Xbox Series S, the smaller version, for $499 and $299, respectively. And as of a few hours ago, or a few days ago, excuse me, Xbox Game Pass Ultimate members can now play over 100 games on their Android devices from the cloud. It's in the beta phases right now, but don't worry about that. And it's available via the Xbox Game Pass app at no additional cost. So that's a good thing about Xbox, is that they can they know what their market is. They... They flatly said that PlayStation isn't, or Sony, excuse me, isn't their main competition anymore. It's companies like Amazon and Apple. So it, the console wars as we know them is basically over because Xbox is trying to appeal to one core audience and Sony is appealing to another. And we'll get to Sony in a minute. But personally, no one gives a shit about this console. Pers- I think. <laughs> Microsoft doesn't is just I wish Sega was back in the console race, but that ain't here we go again. again. (laughs) Dog. Bro, I mean Sega okay, have you okay. Sega. Have you played Yakuza, the Yakuza series? No. That is their one big IP. If you're so into if you're if you're so into Sega, play that. Outstanding series of games. I will attest to it. Yakuza 0, fantastic. You will spend 10, 15, 20 hours in the first two chapters because of all the other shit you have to do, but it's a fantastic series. I highly, highly recommend if you're so into, if you're so into Sega. Christ, why is that so hard to say? I mean, everyone knows Sonic is better than Mario, but that's uh, another- we are Man, come on now. I'm talking about Yakuza. We're going to have to do a poll on the Shooting Bricks uh, podcast. He ain't listening to one word you saying because mm-hmm. he's stuck on Sonic is better than Mario. Only thing he's better at is running. Uh, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I think Xbox is is wrong for this, dog. Y'all just gave up. Y'all was down 3-1. Y'all was down 3-1. Y'all gave up. They need to take notes with the Denver Nuggets. Um, I'd, why are you competing with Apple and Microsoft and Amazon, in my opinion? You're, you're, why? Uh, as the Xbox. So, as, as the, Microsoft is competing with them, but okay. That's what, you, that's what, we, that's what the argument is? Okay. My bad. So, they need to focus on that gaming, though. But damn, go ahead. So the reason why Xbox is or Microsoft is paying more attention to Apple and Amazon is because they're trying to they're trying to get into that ecosystem, right? Because they're, you know, Apple has those things where you can pay for your phone and you can get like a new one, right? That's basically what Microsoft is trying to do with the Xbox Series X. They're trying to branch out into a different into a different user base, fan base, because they understand that the future of gaming quote unquote future of gaming isn't necessarily with how games are played. It's how games are accessed. Right. And that's why they're going to the cloud. That's why they're having these subscription services. I mean, just look at it now. Like I have Google stadia with their subscription service kind of streaming games. And you have, you know, Disney plus you have Peacock, you have Hulu, Netflix, Amazon prime, all these different things. So I think, that's who that's their problem i i feel as if microsoft 
is trying to make a console for the non-gamer. They're they're aiming for people who want an Amazon Fire TV or uh or like Apple Box. T- or or like an Apple TV Plus. They they want that. They want a system where you can put Netflix on your console. But th- the thing is, they're making a video game console. Exactly, exactly. And that's what the f- they did with the Xbox One. And that's why, and they're just, they're, they're, they're behaving like NBA Live right now versus NBA 2K. PlayStation is NBA 2K right now. Xbox is on the decline. And all of this stuff, I don't, I don't, as far as a gamer goes, look, I was an Xbox fan. I was the Xbox man. I was in there arguing on Twitter that Xbox players aren't, aren't bad. You know what I'm saying? But now I have moved over back to PlayStation because PlayStation's where it's at. And then all, like, I don't know, bro. It's just, it's speaking of PlayStation being where it's at. <laughs> nice Their release segue. date, PlayStation. PlayStation release date is November 12th. So the regular one, the regular PlayStation that we've all seen, the big that looks like a fan, a router fan, is five hundred. Yeah, a router, <laughs> five hundred dollars. And uh, the digital only PlayStation is going to be released for three hundred ninety nine. And uh, pre-orders begin the seventeenth, which will be tomorrow when we report mm-hmm. this, so Thursday. Um, so there was a PlayStation reveal event that occurred today, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave us some news on the new Spider-Man Miles Morales video game that's coming out, where there's a remaster version for the ps5 with new graphics and three new customizable suits that miles morales is going to get with the uh og spider-man on top of that there's some other games that are being teased like the new god of war ragnarok i think is what it's called and that's dropping next year as well so they're they're coming through with the exclusives how you guys feel about that event that dropped today with playstation announcing this i mean i i'll be like I'll admit I didn't see the event, but like I know the lineups that they're coming up. I want actually after this podcast is done, I'm gonna look at the Spider-Man Miles Morales gameplay because I'm so damn excited. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it was the the pricing was actually much cheaper was cheaper than that I expected. I was fearing that we're gonna get charged six hundred, but uh, the lineup looks good. Per- personally, obviously, I'm not gonna buy this console right away. Uh, mm-hmm. It's gonna. I'm just gonna wait till the price drops. But 4.99 is actually okay for a launch. I think PlayStation looks good so far. And to just to go off that, I actually saw the footage of Spider-Man Miles Morales. It looks sick, very sick indeed. Um, the main thing that I will say about the PlayStation's price at 4.99, especially since it's coming out November 12th, right? And Black Friday and everything else is just around the corner, so. Why would you get it at four ninety nine when discounts are coming? Maybe a week, two, three weeks right after. I mean, I don't know if that's just me, but do you guys think that this is going to be like discounted that quickly, or do you think it's going to remain five hundred until next year? And then- I, I I think with consoles, they like it's such a valued item that it takes a while before discounts start coming in. So I think. The, the quickest we have a discount will be six months. But by, ne- by the, the, the year after, the, discount, it'll be, the price will be discounted for sure. Hmm. They're not discounting it. You know, Black Friday, they're going to take advantage of us. You feel me? Yeah. Uh, they might throw in where you buy, you, pre, you pre-order, you get the... You know, there's already pre-orders going on on the system already, right? Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people, it's already sold, sold out. So to be honest, I don't even... Th- Think they're 
will they have systems out for Black Friday? We might get discounts on PlayStation 5 video games and controllers. Maybe if you buy a new console, you might get a controller or or three months of a... Uh, PlayStation uh, Plus. Uh, PlayStation Plus, something like that. But discounting this, nah. You see, they dropping this in the middle of a pandemic. You think they're going to give us a fucking discount? I mean, if they really want that ecosystem to go up, yeah. It, why not? It's not. I'm not. I'm not gonna get it anytime soon because I just got my PlayStation. But you feel me? Okay. I know I've asked this question uh, multiple times, but there's been teases all, all these exclusives for the next gen. Are they going to be released for the current gen, like the Miles Morales game, like the new God of War game that's coming out next year? They've been really tight-lipped about that, so we don't necessarily know if that's going to be the case. But I have looked at some of you know, some of the literature that has come out on the PlayStation and Xbox Series X regarding backwards compatibility and all that stuff. And just looking at it here, backwards compatibility, I think, is with the Xbox. I, I'm taking the Xbox on this one because according to Bleach Report, backwards compatibility for the Xbox Series X includes all Xbox One games, select Xbox 360, and original Xbox games. Meanwhile, for the PlayStation, it's almost all PS4 games and some optimized PS4 Pro titles. So, you know, that's... I, I don't... Honestly, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't... It would make sense if Sony just decided not to have games come out for, you know, the PlayStation 4 if they came out for the PlayStation 5. But at the same time, that wouldn't be very smart. So, it takes us a lot smarter person than I to figure this out, but I'm sure that at some point they're going to make the PS5 games available on the PlayStation 4 at some point. It only makes See, sense. I mean, this is honestly uh, going back to like whether we're going to buy this or not. I mean, I personally think it's the worst time to buy a new console is at its um, release point because like the, the lineups are very small. So, I mm -hmm. mean, if, I mean, yes, the PS5, has a great opening lineup, but like if I'm smart, I would just wait a year until the lineup just gets better. So it's it, honestly not a good time to buy the PS5 right now. That year wait is a little bit more manageable if we're still getting the games that are being released. Because that's honestly what's pushing me. Like, like I, I like the God of War series. So if you drop a new God of War game, I'm going to want to play it. So yeah, the same with the Miles Morales game. Go ahead, Jerry. We've been thinking about potentially getting the Xbox Series S, the 299 console, because the the main thing is it doesn't have a disk drive. And I, you know, G, you know this, I like having a physical disk. Same. But that's kind of like the main turnoff. But at the same time, because we have all the games available to us for Xbox from every generation, it seems like, I think that we might get the Xbox Series X first because i've had the xbox one for seven years almost so it's not for an upgrade i mean has it really served you anything jared because like yeah it's given me a great time i played <laughs> you know grand theft auto 5 when it was first in its peak you know played multiple gener multiple iterations of 2k had fun with those same with fifa and the fact that you can play backwards compatible games like saints row for the xbox 360 or like the original saints row and all those different things, you know, and all the various Call of Duty games as well. Like, that was just a really fun experience for me, especially switching from a 360 to an Xbox One and now the Xbox Series X or S. So, and just a, just a few more things here before we wrap things up. So, 
I mentioned Call of Duty, right? And I just find this really interesting. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, I'm already super stoked for it, but I found out that it's the first cross-platform and cross-generation game. So what that means is if you're playing on PS5, you can play against someone on Xbox One. If you're playing on PC, you can play against someone that's on Xbox Series X and vice versa. And it doesn't matter what generation you are, you'll be able to play against each other. And I think that's the that's kind of how it is moving forward. And I don't know if you guys are really into multiplayer games, but I just a, a quick thing. What do you guys think about that? Personally, I think it's kind of the signs how video games are changing. I think, um, yeah, like consoles like PS5 are great and all, but eventually we're going to see a day where, like, I mean, where the streaming type of service is more important than the console, and that would allow, like, these type of cross-generation platform type of gaming to happen. Um, I'm, I'm just not into um, multiplayer shooters, like, I'm infamous for sucking at them, but at the end of the day, I think this title, this Call of Duty title could be a bounce back for the franchise, which has struggled for a little bit. So, I mean, the, the Call of Duty franchise is, you know, I think it's getting back onto its foot where it hasn't been. Fair enough. Um, I think Daniel touched up on it. I'm not really a first-person shooter um, multiplayer gamer. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this will serve well for those that um, – I really, I think it takes away from like, you know, having pride and having your system. I know some of us have both systems, but you know, but you know, it, it needs to happen. It'll, it, it'll, it'll give you more gamers. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've never really liked the, the idea of like, you know, the whole Doritos multi first person multiplayer shooter type of gamer. Where did so. Doritos come from? <laughs> I mean, I, when I see multi, uh, multiplayer shooters like Call of Duty, I associate like with Dorito commercials. All right. And just, uh, just one more thing before we wrap things up here. Uh, so we don't, Cyberpunk 2077, we don't, it's coming out soon. We just hope it doesn't get delayed. But I was just digging around the internet and I found out from, from Daniel Ahmed, Ahmad, excuse me, on Twitter that this is just the scope of how big the game is. They have more than 150 voice actors, 100,000 lines. They had to use four recording studios, and they put in over 10,000 hours of man hours, basically, just to get the game running. And just the voiceover alone is 15 to 20% more than The Witcher 3, including its DLC. And, gee, you played The Witcher 3, and that was a pretty hefty game by itself, right? Absolutely, absolutely. The environment, the the role playing between uh, NPCs or characters that actually hold value to the video game was awesome. So to see that there is how much more, fifteen, 15 to twenty percent. This is going to be a very an engaging game because The Witcher Three is a very engaging game. I can riding on my horse and somebody's just walking up trying to talk to me. So to think fifteen to twenty percent more. I'm I'm excited for it. I I I think Cyberpunk 2077 is going to be awesome. Like I said, the only downfall for me is that first person, but I'm still going to cop this game, and I I'm glad to see this because I like those role playing elements in video games. Uh, I mean, I, I definitely agree with Jarrell. This kind of reminds me of what you know Rockstar did with GTA Five, where mm-hmm. they literally got the like they gave the same type of effort. Um, I mean, this is why like you know studios like CD Projekt Red, Rockstar, Naughty Dog. Uh, always succeed at their video games because they put in so much hard work and effort in it. Yeah, and it needs to be third person, man. 
Maybe. I mean, that's the only pers- part of the um, the the game so far that I don't necessarily understand. Why can it? Why was it? Why was first person uh, chosen in the first place when the other games that studio has done have been in third person? So it, it's kind of weird to me. But yeah, I mean, I'm not into especially with your you're being able to customize your character mm-hmm. to the finest detail. What what the f- I want to see my character? Why add that element for me to not see it? I mean, uh, I'm, I mean. First person, I mean, I've just never been a fan of that, you know, type of camera point of view. So, and like, like what Jarrell said, I, I want to see my character. And if you, when I see my character in third person, I feel much more connected to it than, than a character in first person because I can't see that person. Right. I think, I think if anything, it's to provide like perspective, right? Because they're, they're having this immense world. And what better way to experience this immense world than through, quote unquote your own eyes in first person right so maybe that's why they're doing it yeah i get what you're saying i i guess i would just as a gamer now you want the choice you know maybe yeah. give us the choice to experience it in different like ways i just to piggyback um that's why i like ghost of tsushima you have different ways to experience the game i can play the game in black and white i can play the game in the native language of where that this is being placed at so it's mm-hmm. like i'm watching an anime with this subtitles and i just think giving me that option is awesome and that's what we need as gamers that option especially in the open world video game yeah it just makes sense right yeah absolutely with all that being said speaking of things that make sense make sure to subscribe to the shooting bricks podcast and leave us a review on your platform of choice it really helps us out and with all that being said, lastly, make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter and at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram for all the news on the Shooting Bricks Podcast. And as always, I'm Jerry Castillo. I'm Daniel Huen, and joining us tonight is your boy, Really Real, Jarrell Sales. And we will see you next week. <laughs>